Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply, guys. We're so excited for our guest this week. She is a friend of the show and a return guest. And uh, I'm so excited. Julia, anything you want to say before we introduce our guest? Oh, I mean, she's a writer. She's a film critic. She's one of my favorite people on the goddamn internet. Again, she, as Kate said, she is a return guest it's Jordan Searles, everybody. Jordan, welcome back to the <laughs> welcome show. Welcome back. So glad to be back. You were on our second episode, um, so it's been quite a while. We've been, uh, we've had like 70 yeah. since then or something. Yeah. We've had too many. And the whole world has changed since then. Remember, we were, the three of us were sitting at a table together. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even get to sit in the same room as Bron when we record anymore, and it makes me so sad. I <laughs> really, really always looked forward to Bronwyn coming over. She would always bring, like, beer or, like, a snack. She's just... <laughs> she always had a backpack full of stuff. I miss that backpack. Man, she's she's very cool. For those of you who don't know, um, Jordan also hosts a great podcast called Bad Romance with Bronwyn Ariel Isaac. Is that... The is that her full name? That's yeah, her full name. Yeah, that's her, that's her um, full name. I know her. I should know her. <laughs> I don't know why I blanked on her full name. I know. Hello, Bronwyn. If you're listening to this, I hope you're not. Is um, your podcast like solely yeah. about like rom coms and romantic movies, or is it about everything? It's about rom coms and romantic movies, but I mean, we deviate a lot. Like sometimes, like sometimes we talk a lot about like film gossip history. We did like two episodes on. Um, the breakup of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. We did the first one with like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and then we came back up with the movie The Breakup because both of those movies are completely <laughs> connected to <laughs> that whole thing. We did wow. like it, we did like an hour on like Angelina Jolie. Man, I actually thought that the breakup was it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember crying when I watched that movie and being like, this was actually like kinda more emotional than I bargained for. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You should listen to our episode. We had Griffin Newman, and, like, he's a big The Breakup defender. <laughs> and so we were talking about it. I mean, I related to it a lot because, like, it reminded me of breaking up with literally everyone that I've broken up with. Like, it's a very similar <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, I, I, yeah, it's been so... Long. I think I probably saw that when I when it first came out as well or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but it's been it's been too long. I just found out that Angelina Jolie was like 28 when they made Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is so to me. She has always been like 35 to me. I don't know why. Like and not and that's <laughs> and that's just to say and not like in terms of her her physical age. I don't know. She just like looks like a sexy woman in her 30s forever. Yeah. She kind of like came out like fully formed like that. If you want to watch one of her yeah. earlier movies, um which is like a teen movie that she did called Foxfire. That, I, the sexual I energy from her and Foxfire. Yeah, I watched that when I was <laughs> wow. uh, in high school because I was trying to watch all the like uh, movies with you know lesbian shit in them because I was very into that. <laughs> and I, who who did as, as you who do. did she, who was she hooking up with in that movie? Was it Jenny Lewis? Is that right? 
I can't remember. She uh, was she hooking? No, I think she was hooking up with someone else. But Jenny Lewis is in it, <laughs> and it's it, she's a very interesting presence in it. Yeah, I love Jenny Lewis. Wow. Uh, and I think she was hooking up with like behind the scenes. She was hooking up with one of the other women in the cast. Damn. Who? <laughs> Wasn't her name also Jenny? Wasn't there, wasn't the woman, I feel like she was in real life hooking up with a woman named Jenny. I think she was. I think she was. Anyway, she, yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> bisexual, bisexual icon. Oh, okay. And Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. Jordan. I, okay. So, uh, I, okay. Today, uh, I, I wanted to run something by you because, uh, I dipped a toe back into bisexual Twitter. I, I tend to stick to, to comedy Twitter and, political twitter but this came to me and i have been waiting all day to see what you think of this this take <laughs> oh wait i think i know exactly okay. what tweet you're yeah, talking this about is, go ahead in my opinion this is one of the greatest things that i've ever seen on the internet um and so, oh my god i know i know exactly okay, what you're gonna say yes now. um wait wait, I, wait i'm wait, so wait. excited i'm so okay. excited wait. let it rip kate <laughs> is this the tweet about like how like when bisexual women yes, date men yes, they like introduce men to queer culture let me read the tweet let me read let's, the tweet yeah let's okay. let's read it let's read it verbatim because it's okay. important so okay. this tweet is by uh shiri eisner and here's the tweet by women who date cishet men expose them to queer culture and feminism these men learn about queer lives queer and feminist politics and oppression many of them find out they're not actually cis or het bi women transmit queerness into cis het culture we are a virus <laughs> in the system so before i give anyone the opportunity to respond to this i just want to say that my response was that as a bisexual woman i'm clear that it is my job to turn my boyfriend so gay that he leaves me <laughs> What do you think? I I mean, it's interesting because, like, it, it, a lot of people have been dunking on the tweet, and I think that the, a lot of bisexual tweets are funny, and I think that the tweet is very funny. But I will say that um, Kyle, <laughs> my fiancé, came out as bisexual while we were together. Like, it happened after we got together. <laughs> so Wow, so it's true. Yeah. So it's ob- objectively a true tweet. Uh, yeah. That I think was, that's what it is. That's that why you, I didn't tra- make- you transmitted queer culture to him. <laughs> that's why I didn't make fun of it, because I was like, that's exactly what happens here. <laughs> okay, so I don't know your relationship, but I guess what struck me about this thing is it's like ascribing like very little agency to men and it's like I don't know I mean I've definitely had boyfriends come out to me uh but I feel like it was more of a situation where like they felt comfortable coming out to me as you know bisexual or you know genderqueer or whatever because of who I was and it wasn't like oh I met this like magical bisexual lady who made me bisexual (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah yeah no I I I agree yeah I think it's just I think it's just easier in general for men to kind of like communicate um in their like kind of like find themselves or communicate like in their relationships like there's like a lot of discourse about like how you know, like men just like don't have friends and that their girlfriends are their friends. And I don't necessarily think that that's 
the issue a lot of the time, but I think it's just easier to come out to someone that you know really well and who you know isn't going to really judge you for it. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. But I don't know. Although I, I just, I do love the description of bisexuality or bisexual people as a virus. <laughs> I, just, I identify as a yeah, virus. Yeah, I, I identify <laughs> as a virus. And I feel like every, I mean, the thing is, is I feel like this, this particular thread is like kind of a, an extension of like a lot of what I see whenever bisexual Twitter makes its way onto my timeline, which is like a big debate of like, if it's all right for bisexual women to date men. And if we're like, Oh, I don't know. I've seen things. Oh man. There was this one great one, like yeah. a little while ago about, uh, I can't remember what it was, but basically like how bisexual women were like vehicles for like male privilege uh into queer spaces or something <laughs> and it's just like you know, i stopped engaging with it because i mean one because i'm in my 30s and two because i'm just like you know i'm like i'm fucking who i'm fucking i don't need to decide that on twitter you know but <laughs> right like it's just it's just like no one's business, really. And yeah, I I muted uh, the the term bisexual on Twitter, which is why I didn't see that tweet originally. <laughs> I saw like screenshots of the tweet because I no longer see tweets with that word in it because I was getting very tired of everyone. I mean, it's like there's a lot of like ascription to like there's some kind of like deliberateness in dating. And it's not just like we're just like randomly like falling into random. We're just like running into people like running our gender into people like it's not it's, it's not this weird like planned thing like I met Kyle when I was specifically looking for women to date like it just fucking happens yeah. uh, so it just I don't know it's kind of like how people sometimes make assumptions about like me being with a white man where it's like actually all, Kyle is like one of like the two white men that I've been with it just happens that like our relationship is known online and all of my uh, all of my other relationships aren't and also most right. of the people yeah so it's just like if you just like consumed me on twitter you would think i'm just really into white men it's like no i mean it's really just him i don't really like the rest of them <laughs> yeah no i know exactly famously famously yeah, so i know what you mean i was so i watched last night a rom-com that I really like. And I'm curious to hear the opinion of an expert. But I watched When Harry Met Sally, which I would personally describe as my favorite rom-com of all time. Not that it doesn't have all of the problematic shit with gender associated with the genre or whatever. But I just really like it. I like the fact that it takes over, like, it takes place over 12 years. It feels like real love to me. Uh, and to me, yeah. that was, like, very, like, that kind of, you know... Uh, kind of goes with what you're saying of like we just kind of like fucking run into people and that it isn't this thing where it's like I am going to date a bisexual socialist woman you know like it's not it's 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 just kind of uh more confusing than that you know yeah 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 it is it's just and also like when Harry Met Sally is awesome. And actually, my ex-fiancé, um, <laughs> not Kyle, but the one that so I was engaged to It's so cool that you have an ex-fiancé. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, he referred to When Harry Met Sally as the diehard of rom-coms. <laughs> it, kind of, it kind of is yeah. the mountaintop. It is I think it's like pretty widely considered to be like the best of the genre, basically. And I, I think that's true. 
Um, I really, I really like it. I it's great. It's it's so good. I mean, it's like Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal at their best. Carrie Fisher's amazing in it. Like it's a it's great. Um, yeah, the writing is incredible. The directing is great. Like. And it's the just, cinematography is great too. Yeah. Like the big, the big shots of of New York in the fall. We love that. Yeah, and it's just like it's you know, and it seems like a love story that makes sense. Like these two friends fall. In love. It's actually so funny. I watched it with one of my best friends in Georgia, and it was somebody that had a crush on me for a long time. And after we watched it, we immediately had sex. <laughs> <laughs> He had been trying for years, and I was like, "When Harry met Sally, that's the thing. Wow, that's the panty dropper. That's that is inspiring." <laughs> and I, I, I agree with you. I think that it is a thing where we just kind of, you know, run into people and end up liking who we like. I was, you know, aggressively convinced that I was straight for twenty eight years, and then last year I realized oh, I, I wasn't. I didn't. <laughs> Well, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I just, like, but it was one of those things where I just, like, met somebody at a party, and I was like, okay. And then uh, and then I was in denial about it for, like, three months, and then I got over it, and now I'm fine, and I'm almost a 30-year-old old woman, and I can admit that I'm fine. You can admit that you're fine. You're fine for you. Fine sexual. Yeah. Fine, fine sexual, medium yeah. sexual. <laughs> That's what, uh, that's where, that's where I'm at. I'm, yeah. I, uh, um, I, I was married to a woman and I thought I like identified as a lesbian for a while. And then after her and I broke up, I like, I haven't really dated many women since then. We were together for like seven years. And after that, it's been mostly men and, you know, honestly, some really gross ones. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't know that you were married. That's so cool. I mean, I don't know why I'm saying cool, but like, I don't know. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan has an ex-fiance. Kate was married to a woman. I am the least cool person on this call <laughs> and I know it. Uh, I yeah I I thought that I was late for like not having sex with a woman until I was like 20 <laughs> oh my god everyone get out of my life sorry I am sexually stunted um <laughs> no, I mean I feel like I feel like until you turn 30 you're still like discovering yourself like I turned 28 this year and well I'm terrified now because I turned 28 it's just like it's almost over but <laughs> I've been learning I know. a lot about myself now so I feel like you know Late late twenties is where it's where you figure it out. Yeah. And then I just realized like, oh you know, I, I guess my weird obsession with Charlize Theron isn't just because I think she's cool. <laughs> she's very hot. I'm obsessed with her. I think I want her to run me over with a car. Um <laughs> but yeah, anyways, wow, we really got off off the trail there. Um I had a question, you guys. All right. Do you miss do you miss do you miss doing stand up? I'm I'm starting to miss oh, it. Oh, I miss doing stand up every day. Like I mean, I feel like I centered so much yeah. of my life around it and like but okay, here's the thing. It's like I don't miss it enough to do it inside. I saw there's a comedy club in New York that is like doing uh yeah. stand up. They're going to go indoors. For, they've been doing park shows. They're going to go indoors for the winter by doing uh stand up in like uh i think synagogues and other Wait, churches as like a 
And there, there's already a club that's that's been yeah. doing indoor yeah, shows. Yeah, but there, there's one that's kind of getting around. Some are getting around it by like calling their stand up trivia nights and you know restaurants, and some are getting around it by like having uh, you know stand up shows that they're calling religious services, and some are just getting wow, it. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that everybody was. Just, yeah, and it's this feels very. I just I don't miss it enough to do that. I mean, I I really really miss it, but I feel like if if shit is shut down because of covid it like probably needs to be shut down because of covid so yeah. i'm not i'm not missing it enough that i'll do that at this moment you know yeah i mean i went to physical therapy today and i still feel weird about doing that because i'm just like because it's like it's like a gym ish it's yeah. a gym ish kind of thing which is why i haven't really been doing it but you know my back my back pain isn't gonna go away so. yeah no, I I think that's totally reasonable. I there there was a lot of debate about the uh the indoor shows in the community and by a lot of debate I, I do mean I feel like the general consensus was no one wants to do it and no one thinks it should be done and there were just like a few very vocal opponents to that idea. I mean, I know but, that some I know that there are some people who like they're doing it because like, you know, they need to pay bills. And I mean, stand up was never paying my bills, so I, yeah. just, I don't have that experience. I wish it was paying my bills; that would have been great. I mean, yeah. maybe in the maybe in the future. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's. I mean, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I definitely miss it, and I. I miss it more and more as the longer this goes on, and the more that I realize that this is the the longest that I've gone without doing it in since I started doing it. So, um, by a lot, <laughs> by a lot. So yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I'll know how to do it anymore. Once I start again, I'm so, worried about that. Too. One thing, here's one thing that I'm wondering about is, you know, there are people that have just kept doing stand up this entire time and they've done it basically at the same yeah. rate that they were doing it before. And that is uh, conservative comics. And I actually, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but I do think that the trend over the next like few years in comedy is going to be really dominated by uh, like conservative fucking racist shit <laughs> because that's who's like doing well right now and also because a lot of what the sort of more like alt slash woke scene is producing at least the people who are gaining major traction and being like really really lifted up by industry players like some of it is not that great you know and it's kind of obviously not that great you know um so i don't know i'm, I'm a little bit worried that the the, t the tide is turning to sort of a conservative comedy and that the the like old stuff is is kind of on the way out for now but hopefully i'm wrong yeah. in terms of conservative comedy i do think that like i don't know i uh, i do think like people who lean conservative are just generally not that funny and i have always feared if conservatives if there if any republican conservative comedians or whatever become funny or if the Republican Party ever gets good at graphic design. And I feel like if, if either of those happen, then it's over for us. Uh, I, uh, yeah. I do want to change the subject to something else, though. Uh, not just because I hate this topic, but also because, I, you know, the first time you were on the show, 
We talked a lot about student loan forgiveness and student loans. And that's a topic that is, you know, back in the news because the Biden administration. It's back, baby. Biden-Harris administration is like thinking about um, forgiving some amount of student loans. Uh, Chuck Schumer has said that Biden could potentially forgive $50,000 of student loans by executive order. Uh, I think in the past couple of days, Biden has floated the number $10,000. But it seems like some amount of student loans will be forgiven in, in my uh, in my hope. You know, definitely it's a lot closer to 50 or all of it or whatever. But, you know, I mean, it could be very little. It could be, you know, an amount that would really erase most of the student loans out in this country. Um, and you know, I was just kind of wondering, like, how this is all striking you and if you're optimistic about this, Jordan. Um, well, I mean, it's kind of like a let's see what happens kind of thing, because like with with Biden and Harris, I'm just like, oh, OK, fine. <laughs> like if if it's going to be them, that's fine. Um, You know, and I want to believe that the Dems are going to be like, maybe we should start a like listening to these all these very popular things that have been gaining traction and like really do it. And like debt forgiveness is a really popular thing. And I would love to know if they're actually going to do it or they're just saying that they're going to do it because they know that it's a popular thing to say. And if it's so popular, then why not just fucking do it then? Yeah. <laughs> But I almost feel like the narrative is that it's not popular, no matter how much like information and data to the contrary. It's there's still this idea that it's going to be this controversial. Yeah, thing. that people are going to be pissed I, off if they already paid back their student loans or some shit. Yeah, but I mean, I owe like 100K in student loans. So like I would <laughs> it would change my life. <laughs> You know, it would be nice to not have my credit score would go up. That would be nice. I have a, like a, my credit score isn't bad, but like, I feel like it, it's weird to me that like your credit score is affected like while you're in school, like you're making like conscious consumer decisions when you're just like trying to eat and go to class and like, you know, sleep <laughs> and like have an apartment. <laughs> like all of my student loan money went to just like, rent <laughs> yeah no i i think that's those points are all all very well taken i am like i have to say i continue to be kind of shocked that this is even being floated by mainstream dems uh because and especially the fact that like chuck schumer has seems to have taken it on as a as a, a pet project um i know it was uh, he and Elizabeth Warren had Eliz originally, uh, or she had suggested the the fifty thousand number, or that's the number that the two of them came to. I'm not really sure, but um, yeah, obviously I think it should be all of it. But I yeah. know that, like, um, you know, I think for obviously, like, yeah, uh, that much. I mean, kind of any amount of of student loan forgiveness would change my life, and I. I feel like my whole, uh, the way that I live has been molded around my student loans. And that sounds kind of like dramatic, but I live in the apartment where I I live and I kind of like have to 
again, every, every kind of financial decision that I make is based around my student loans, which I were, which I was like trying to aggressively pay over the last few years because the interest is so crushing. Um, and, and, you know, I, I paid off like half of it and yeah, I, I cannot imagine having a reaction that would be like, well, I already paid X amount of money. I don't want to see anyone else get their student loans forgiven. Like the, the student debt system in this country is criminal and it's I don't know how you can like live with yourself and yeah because I mean it's essentially like a debt machine like yeah you go in knowing that you're going to go into debt like a debt is just like a part of our lives before we even know what our lives are going to be like imagine like spending like that's the thing yeah Yeah. because like when I was 17 18 years old yeah. And it's like when I'm in college, I'm trying to figure out like who I am. And, you know, there's also the concept of like, what if people take more than four years? You know, what if they have other things? What if they change their majors? And it's like every decision that they make, like affects how much debt they're going to be in when what they really should be doing is like being able to do what they want so that they can figure out what kind of adult they're going to be. Like, it's it shouldn't like it's already tense enough because it's like you're trying to figure out your life i don't understand like putting all that on it and then when people when you get pushed into the workforce it's like it's so anxiety like i got out of grad school four years ago and like i felt like intensely that i need to be making as much money as possible and that entire thought process has made me so anxious that I've like barely made any money because I just like because like I, I show up for like a job interview and just like I'm sweating and I'm just like I need <laughs> I'm just so thirsty. It's like when you it's like when you want it too badly, you don't get it. So yeah, so it's just like. It's it it doesn't just like change the way that you live, it changes the way that like you think the way that you perceive yourself like I feel like, sometimes I feel like a, like a total failure because I haven't been able to make, like, a dent in them, you know? Mm. And I well, just... Well, yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, like, one of the things that a lot of data on our, our generation shows is that, like, we haven't really been able to start our lives in a lot of ways, in, like, the ways of of your, I guess. Yeah. Um, like, you know, that's, it's a huge reason why people, you know, obviously there are other reasons, but it's a huge reason why people can't, you know, buy a home until like well into their, uh, like late thirties, forties. Um, people delay getting married. They delay having kids, all of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, there's so much of stuff like I yeah the home stuff and for me like specifically I'm like delaying having kids until you know because of, because you know there's just like so much debt and I just don't make enough money but it's such a weird thing because like I'm southern and it's like we're like programmed to like want kids so I've wanted to have kids since like forever and it just like doesn't seem like it's possible and I'm just like 
I just would like to have, I just want one kid. <laughs> yeah. But I don't feel like I can, uh, like, I can afford it. And, like, because my mom was, like, working a bunch of jobs and going to college when I was born. I mean, I'm the oldest of five, so eventually she figured it out. But, like, it was, I like, what she went through, it's like, I didn't want to. Like, my mom had me when she was 22. I couldn't imagine having a kid yep, when I was 22. Gosh. And now I'm 28, and I still can't imagine having a kid right now. And it's just it's so yeah I just want a kid and like I wonder (laughs) (laughs) and I wonder like how much somebody get Jordan a kid somebody get me a kid but like a part of it is just that like um people are like oh why aren't young people having kids like they used to and it's like because we can't afford them and we know that we can't afford them and I almost feel like we're more aware that we can't afford them than we have ever been. Yeah, I mean, not to well, mention I think climate change. True. I mean, to me, that's like been a yeah. big factor in like whether or not I have a kid. It's just kind of like, what does life look like for someone who is, you know, 40, 45 years from now or whatever? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it's there's definitely, I was thinking about that like, to kind of bring it back to like when Harry met Sally is like... It, like, shows this world, which is for sure, like, rom-comified of, like, everyone has to get married and, like, where's your partner? And, like, you know, what? You're 31. You don't have a baby. Oh, my God. You know? And it's, like, now I I definitely... That that picture, uh, at least for people in New York, as they are in the movie, that feels so jarring to me because that is, like, not how our generation thinks about having children or not. It's just, like, having kids is something that feels so complicated and so heavy now. I mean, not to say that many people don't do it, not to even say that I won't, but it just feels like a really monumental decision, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And it it is. It is even without all of those financial constraints. It's a monumental decision, obviously. But it's, I, I think in particular, um, you know, for us, for us coastal elites um living in living in cities like new york it is a lot i i I think it is a lot more common to you know for people in their like mid to late 30s to not have kids or to just start trying and around then um because Yeah. yeah these are like prohibitively expensive cities anyways so everything is harder everything is more expensive but also this is where all the jobs are so you can't yeah, exactly. blame us. Yeah. <laughs> like like I can't like I can't go back to Georgia because I can't do what I do there. Like if I could. Yeah. No, I still wouldn't go back to Georgia. But like, <laughs> it's like Um but I have you all seen the film Private Life? No, I have not. Yes. What is it about? With Private, Catherine Hahn? Yeah, Private Life feels like uh, like of course it's like older people, but when I was watching it it felt so relevant to kind of like how I felt like I feel like like it felt like what we're going to be when we get older as like millennials like that's I feel like we're going to be Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti like trying I was to- gonna say I was gonna say I, I was like is the male lead Paul Giamatti I forgot I I, I think it's Paul Giamatti it is, I think no I think you're right about that um yeah it's yeah it's like about a couple who are you know they're like, New an, York. they're like an artsy New York couple and they still like live in an apartment and it like it looks like a real apartment that you would live in. It's not super big. 
And they're just, like, going through this whole thing, like, about, like, why did we wait to have kids? And, like, the complications of having waited. And they talk about a lot of the financial issues. And when the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh, God, this is my future. (laughs) Yeah. I've actually never been super into the idea of having kids of my own. Mm. Um, But I don't know if it's the fact that I'm, like, rounding the corner on 30, but I've recently been, like, the horniest I've ever been in my life, and I think, and it feels different. It just feels, uh, it feels, like, biblical and, like, a little, um, apocalyptic, and also, like, um, some force is, like, telling me to procreate, and it's horrifying. No, it's very intense. I, uh, no, if if we're just, if we're gonna talk about fertility choices, I'll be honest, I fucking, I froze my eggs, man, because I was, like, yeah, I did it a while ago, because I was just, like, yeah, I mean, kind of looking at my life and my own trajectory, I'm like, I may not be like set up to have kids for a few years after it is biologically possible for me to do so. And I think a lot of women um, of our generation are making that decision in some way or another. And, you know, before people are like, uh, you're fucking rich. No, I put it on a credit card that I'm still trying to figure out how to pay back because I'm like, this okay. is like a thing I, that, that was my next question yeah. <laughs> the money thing yeah uh, yeah i've been thinking about that too because i'm just like i don't know i feel like i still don't know what the fuck i'm doing <laughs> yeah it's, I'm, okay. I'm going in the opposite direction I, I i tried to sell mine i tried to sell my eggs but my brother has type 1 diabetes so they uh apparently there's a genetic component to that son oh yeah i couldn't i couldn't sell mine because they have they have a weight limit oh yeah (laughs) yeah they don't want like i guess they're like we don't want the fat gene to get to the kids (laughs) so like there's i feel like the weight limit is like i don't know like 170 pounds or something like that something around there where it's like after a certain point they're like no we don't want them i it is such a weird kind of i i don't know for and i know it's very personal but i i do find a lot of fertility medicine and the business of fertility to be just kind of a a capitalist a late capitalist oh, no, nightmare it is for sure uh, it is it, for sure and i no no no, no. I, and i'm not i'm not saying egg freezing and per, i'm saying that like the reason why i even ever thought to try to sell my eggs is because a woman when I was living in Boston, a woman on the train gave me her card and she was, she like worked for a, a, um, some sort of like egg donor thing. And she was just like, you tall, white, blue eyes, good genes. (laughs) And it's so creepy. And then, and then she found out that I, you know, I have this horrible genetic defect and that my brother has type one diabetes. So, uh, you know, I was out, but I just think it's like so creepy. It's so like, it's weird. Like my, my best brave new yeah, world no, it is. in college, know. a lot of girls, cause I went to UC Berkeley. And so there was like all the fucking fertility, uh, clinics there, like recruiting because it was like, oh, you know, smart. And I went up to them one day 
And they were like, okay, uh, you're too short. I'm sorry, we don't want, like, this is <laughs> a little short, a, a bit, uh, shall we say, ethnic, Italian looking. Nobody wants these eggs. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, my. I I only thought that I could, I only considered doing it because my best friend did it like twice. Um, and like, I, I mean, and I was there for it and she was just like going through, she was just like sick all the time. She's like, I gotta do this. I gotta do all these things. But like when it was over, like she, she got like $3,000 and I thought that that's great. <laughs> I only wanted to do it for the money, but yeah. And I don't I know. I mean, that's the, re- like <laughs> in a lot of the, was she doing it in New York? No, this was my friend. This was my friend in Georgia. Um, yeah, because yeah. here, here you can get like fifteen to thirty thousand dollars for and and I know that that sounds like a you know to to some of our uh, some of the fellas who are listening at home that might sound like a, a crazy amount, but it is also it's pretty invasive. Yeah, you got to inject yourself with um, all these fucking hormones, and then you have surgery to get them out. You have to inject yourself. You have to inject yourself with hormones every single day, pretty much, um, to, like, cook your eggs. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, and then they the, the procedure to re- retrieve them is pretty invasive. You have to, like, I think you have to be put under yeah. for they it. They put you under, they put um, you under with, like, um, like nitrous type shit, like, kind of dent- dental surgery level anesthesia. And, you know, laughing it gas. isn't that yeah. bad. I, like, I will say... Like if you know if anyone's like for some reason like thinking about doing this, I think that like the reason that I ultimately decided to do this is because like even though I was far from the age that it would be like impossible for me to have kids biologically or whatever, like I just like didn't want to ever be fucking worried about like the shit that gets like shoved down heterosexual women's throats of like you better settle down by with someone by this age or whatever yeah i just clock is yeah ticking. i just i wanted to be i did it psychologically because like i wanted to be like completely relieved from that pressure and not have it be a factor in any of my decisions i wanted to keep fucking guys without jobs for however many more years i naturally wanted to until i naturally grew out of that on my own time yeah. Amen. But you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just yeah. Like it's you know that is like another fucking classist thing, right? Because it's like I guess part of the reason to bring it back, like part of the reason that I could do that is because I had paid off my student loan debt by that point. So I was like, I can, I guess I can like take on another fucking kind of debt that I'm gonna be like paying off, like a medical debt or whatever. But you know, if I had still had my student loan debt, which I paid off, I think, a few years ago, through some help, I inherited a tiny bit of money when my grandparents died and used the rest of it to pay off, like, my remaining debt and stuff. And it wasn't a lot, but, I mean, I just mean, like, this conversation that's kind of, like, framed around, like, oh, well, this is just going to help privileged people or whatever. I mean, like, privileged people, like, people who are uh you know have like amazing jobs or some shit are not gonna like be in a situation where like 10 or twenty thousand dollars would change their lives okay like that's like fucking pete buddha judge logic and i see that shit from yeah. leftists and yeah. it irritates me so much you know well i i just i never understand this argument of that it's gonna benefit privileged people it's like this idea that like uh, it, it 
it's almost like if it can benefit privileged people in any way at all, it means that it's like not a leftist thing. And it's like it if it's if it's going to benefit everybody. The point is that it's going to benefit everyone and it's going to benefit everyone in different ways. And I don't know, like I feel also like partially like it reminds me a lot of like the conservative argument for it, because like I think part of the conservative argument is like, oh, no, if more people can afford to go to college, that means that more ethnic people are going to afford to college and afford college. And like, that's bad. And then I feel like this like leftist argument is that like, oh, no, if it helps the working class, it might also help like the non-working class. And like, oh, no, that was and it's just like or we could just like all just be like, think of <laughs> I don't know why it matters, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know why that matters. It's like. It's something that is going to help everybody. So we should just be glad that it's happening. Like, I don't know. Are there people in Canada that are just like, oh, it just sucks that like I get the like we're rich and we get the same care as the poor is like, I don't know if they <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, guess I, they feel that way. I don't the, know. The current the way that the system currently exists is that everything is for the benefit of the wealthy anyways. Right. So we can either have that, which is what... Oh, I'm so sorry. My cat just knocked over a bunch of shit on my dresser. Um, yeah, we can either have that or we can have the second option, which is that we can do something that helps a wide swath of people, and that might include a few rich people as well. But also... I just don't know how many people, how many like actually rich people are carrying ten to fifty thousand dollars student loan debt. No, I don't think very many. I at don't all. know. Um, we do need to wrap up here in just a few minutes, and before we do, Jordan, I know you have a ton of pieces coming out, and I was wondering if there's anything yeah. you want to plug. Um, yeah, I, I'm doing, I'm doing a piece for New York Magazine on, on Big Mouth and race and cartoons and, um, Io getting the job, which I'm super happy about. And so that's going to be in the print magazine. And then, um, there's, there should be an online version of it that's going to be slightly different. So that's coming. There's one like thing that I'm doing that I really wish I could say, but no, uh, I can't. Um, I'm gonna, I'm also like working on some pilots. So, um, those might premiere soon-ish or next year or something, but it's just fun just so people know I'm working on some pilots. I do that. She's working. She's <laughs> booked working. and busy. Um, um, and you know, I, listen my, to Bad Romance. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> my question for you before we leave, obviously you're a film critic. What have you seen lately that you love? What's good? What can take us out of this, uh, hell world or put us back into a different hell world. I don't care. Anyone uh, you want. Okay, let me just go through. She Dies Tomorrow, Shirley, Time, which is a documentary, um, Kajillionaire, which I really, really adore, First Cow, um, really, really love, and um, Nomadland, which I don't know if it's out yet or if it's going to be out next year, but keep an eye out for Nomadland. I've only the only one of those I've seen is Shirley, which does rock, and I recommend it as well. But I've also heard such great things about Kajillionaire and um, First Cow. Amazing! So yeah. that's and great. Jordan, where can we follow you? We love that. 
Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at J-O-U-R-D-A-Y-E-N. And, oh, oh yeah, I'm also on OnlyFans now, but you have to DM me for that link. Ha, awesome. <laughs> I love it. Paying off student loan debt in, uh, in, in all the ways that we can. <laughs> all right, Jordan. In all the ways we can. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.